Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to another episode of the TC Live Podcast on the Tennis Podcast Network. Big show planned today. This week's guest, current player, also dipping his hand now in television, Nick Monroe, ATP Tour. Four doubles titles in his career, Nick. Welcome to Tennis Channel and welcome to the TC Live Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been uh, it's been a good first week. This is uh, this is you got the whirlwind. This is right away. Yeah, an unprecedented time. We go U.S. <laughs> Open right to French Open. You're playing in the French Open doubles draw, but made time to uh, make your TV debut. How's it been, and how have you been adjusting? No, this is, this has been awesome. Um, to to go from the U.S. Open bubble and and get out of the bubble, and you know that was it was fun and amazing there at U.S. Open. But I was extremely excited to get to LA here and and start working and helping with tennis channel and, you know, I hadn't done much commentating before, but I was really excited to get after it. And after, you know, four or five days now feeling more comfortable and really enjoying just being with the crew here. It's a great team, a lot of great matches that we're watching in Rome and um, just exciting. Super exciting for sure. Uh, and, and we can start with there because we've been doing this show for a couple months. It's actually right through the pandemic all the way through. And, there was a lot of talk going in, con- concerns, justifiable, what the tennis would be like getting players to, and, and getting the organizational structure set up, but also getting players to buy in. The U.S. Open goes off. You're never going to have a perfect event, but it was with very few hitches. From the locker room, from the players' perspective, why should we not be surprised that these players bought in, that everybody mostly followed the rules, that we got this great event and that the players stuck to the guidelines? You know what? Every everyone was just so excited to play. I mean, the fact that the U.S. Open had made these made sacrifices, we knew that you know things were going to be different, and we were going to have to be okay with it. And uh, you know, having two different hotels, and um, you know, all the players staying in two different hotels, and they did a great job at the at the Marriott where most of the players were staying. They had a food truck there every day for us to eat and and have dinner there for free. And then alongside that, they had a little beer garden where we could sit outside, watch tennis or watch basketball on a big screen and had some games out there. And then also at the hotel, they had, you know, a a room with a ping pong table and pop shot. And they had another room with a golf simulator. And so they made it fun uh, for the players. And and also at that hotel, we pretty much had all our treat. We had the treatment room, the massage room, anything that we needed. So as soon as we left the courts, you know, it was basically going back to home with, kind of everything, you know, and, and didn't need to, you didn't need to leave. Um, yeah. Everything you needed was there and we were able to order an Uber Eats and whatnot. So, but then as far as at the courts, you know, obviously it was different without fans, but being able to walk around the grounds and, and kind of, you know, have it to ourselves and feel like a little Olympic village and focus on our craft was something that I think all the players really enjoyed and, and obviously excited to have the fans back, but we, really embraced this change and, and took it in. It's funny because you talk like, a lot of players and a lot of people outside the game will talk about how long the season is and how much of a grind it is. But, you know, 
it's like you don't realize how much you love something until it's gone. It's gone for a few months, and then everybody's chomping at the bit to get back. The professionalism really showed, and also, obviously, uh, the love of the game. As somebody, Nick, that's been in this grind, that's been having to adjust from traveling city to city, country to country, and then also changing surfaces, we've never really seen this before. You go U.S. Open major season, now you got to go hard court to clay, and you get one week, two weeks essentially, and then it's the French Open. Is there anything that can prepare you for the adjustment? How do you attack? How do these players necessarily maybe attack the training side of things to get ready for such a whirlwind? No, I mean, obviously, you know, over this quarantine period, a lot of players were took this time, like myself. I mean, I had a, basically took it as a two-month, two-and-a-half-month preseason fitness period to really work on my fitness and focus on things I wanted to work on in my game. And so then you go into the hard court season, ready to play. And then obviously now moving into clay, um, as soon as players were finishing in New York, it was like, okay, what's the first flight that I can get on to get over to Europe and start practicing on the dirt? And, you know, the more reps and the more hours you get on the dirt, the better you're going to feel. And so a lot of players just headed over there immediately. And obviously with two weeks in between, that's not an ideal situation. But again, we had so much time off that – you know, we're just excited to be back on the court. It doesn't matter if we need to play in a parking lot or a park or wherever. We're kind of ready to go. Yeah, and it's almost, I guess the closest comparison would be like going to grass court season, which is so short and you got to change surfaces. But you saw Victoria Azarenka lose in the final of the U.S. Open. She played a couple of days later and has played well on the clay as well. Uh, we did this podcast last week with John Wertheim, recorded it the day of the uh, women's final. So shout out to both Naomi Osaka and Dominic Team for hoisting the crowns. Osaka, unfortunately, not going to play in the French Open. Uh, made that decision, cited the hamstring still being a little sore. I think it's understandable. And and I think, Nick, anytime there's any question of an injury, regardless of your stature in the game, this is a tough adjustment. So health does come first. And, and I'm not surprised, although it's unfortunate, that Naomi made the decision not to play. No, I mean, I think that, you know, you win the U.S. Open. There's a lot of – it's mentally and physically very taxing mm-hmm. – and, you know, as a spectator, or as a fan, sometimes you don't realize that. I mean, you see how hard they're fighting and you see those things. But as soon as you win a tournament like that and you finish, I mean, you're mentally exhausted. And, you know, again, more praise to Azarenka for going straight from New York over to Rome and playing two days later and having the same fight that she did in the finals of the U.S. Open. But for Naomi, I mean, I think it makes – a lot of sense. I mean, clay isn't probably her best or favorite surface. And as she said, she wanted to just pretty much enjoy this and enjoy the moment. And I think it's an, it's a great decision by her. And especially with the hamstring injury as well, give herself time to heal and then see what her next tournament might be. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Snick Monroe on the TC Live podcast on the Tennis Podcast Network. I, I totally agree with that. Somebody that also cited health as a reason for not wanting to do both was Rafael Nadal. Didn't come over to America, wanted to, you know, keep it safe with COVID, also with his body as an aging tennis player. Well, he's back on the clay, Nick, and it's like nothing ever changed. One and one over Pablo Carina Busta, who won, who was the semifinalist at the U.S. Open. 
I, I'm I'm ready to just put him in, you know, put him in the vault and and he'll be good on clay as long as he's playing. I, I just there's no slippage. It's insane. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I think every player was watching that first match that he had to see, okay, what what kind of Rafa are we gonna get? But to be honest, we already knew what kind of Rafa we were gonna get. I mean, he in practice he focuses and trains you know, on every ball in practice is very similar to a Grand Slam final. You know, I mean, he really put so much emphasis on everything he does. Fitness, training, eating, sleeping, hydrating, all that stuff is at a premium for him. And, uh, you know, I don't think anyone was surprised to see how well he was playing. And uh, if you, that's one guy you don't want to see on your side of the draw, that's for sure. Absolutely. We're going to uh, toss to this clip now. It's uh, TC Live, Jim Courier. Lindsey Davenport and uh, Steve Weissman talking about Nadal on clay, just what he did after that match and, and what to expect. He did do a lot of things well. He actually also said after, I didn't expect to play that well. Rafa probably the only guy who didn't expect to play that well. He never does, Lindsey. He's <laughs> Mr. Humble, right? He is. It, we were all wondering about Rafa and how we, he would come back. We haven't seen him much and how we would react to no fans. But he was great. As Jim was saying, he was bullying Karina Busta around that court. Loved the forehand. I love, though, Jim, the best point you made, the towel retrieval game was on point by Rafa. Yeah, he had him in all four corners. <laughs> uh, he was he was not questioned on time today in between points. Sometimes that can be an issue for him, but everyone's adjusting, and Rafa adjusted very well to that aspect of, uh, of things, too. So, look, he, he does sort of thrive on doubt, and that's he has a lot of self-doubt out there, and that drives him to his greatness, and he wants to prove it every day. He proved it today. He's going to be tough to beat here in this clay court run. First match in 200 days. Is that something you think he practiced, the towels, before coming Definitely in? Definitely it was a conversation with the team. I think he's so process-oriented, and he's such a creature of habit. It would definitely be something that was discussed about also traveling with fewer people as well. I think the players are only allowed two or three player guests with them. Rafa normally travels, I don't know, eight or ten deep to a lot of tournaments. So um, I would think that they got that planned down. Jim is right, though. I mean, he is a player. He likes a lot of reps. It took him last clay court season a couple of tournaments before he found his clay court groove here in Rome. I think that he was probably very energized to try and really play well and get this restart off on the right foot. He's got great memories from Rome. Back-to-back -back defending champion there. Another subplot to what's going on at this event. 35 Masters 1000 titles for both Rafa Nadal and Novak Djokovic. So who's going to take the lead in that category? So Nadal continuing to grind, continuing to impress, and somebody nobody wants to see on the draw. As we record this now, Novak Djokovic is another player. We all know what happened with him at the U.S. Open, and uh, one of the clips we're going to get to in a second is his reaction to uh, getting back onto the clay, trying to put that behind him. This is his sound, as well as what our TC Live crew had to say about it. So here's that now. I was actually looking forward to... to get the official match as soon as possible after what happened in New York because I, I feel like uh, the sentiment on the court needs to be positive and I need to kind of remove anything that can possibly cause any kind of issues to me if there is something. So I didn't feel that uh, I had any mental or emotional blockages or any dramas playing a match today. Uh, in contrary, I felt, ve I felt very comfortable. Well, certainly physically, Novak was fine, but uh, how were you impressed with his mental bounce back? Yeah, it, it's never easy to get back out on court when something bad happens to you. We all know what happened to Novak in New York. 
But he's right. It, it helps to have something to look forward to, and it helps to have a goal. If, if he had had a month off or six weeks, you spend more time worrying about what had just happened. He was able to get back on a match court, kind of exercise those demons out of his system. I loved, you know, his wife on Twitter posted a photo the other day of their daughter what, looking over on a practice court. And, and so you know his family's there. Everybody around him is trying to make him feel good and start to feel better about himself going into Roland Garros. I don't know. Just seeing his wife Elena's tweet and seeing that they were there supporting supporting him, that it makes me think that everybody is going to get him in the right frame of mind in the next few weeks for Roland Garros. Do you think he's there in the right frame of mind? I think a couple more matches might help him there, but at least he's turned the page. He's right, playing a competitive match, getting back out there and feeling what his emotional state is, because that's the thing, too. He is a player who thrives on using his emotions, positive and negative. If he goes flatline out there, he's not the same competitor. So getting comfortable on that again and coming to terms with what happened, but also putting it in the rear view and having something else to discuss, very important. He did well today. Nick Novak Djokovic uh, back onto the clay. After the incident that happened, I look at this from a big picture standpoint. He's one of the greatest of all time already, chasing Roger, chasing Rafa for that major title list, but also somebody that has a lot of years of tennis left. So this could be the inspiration that he, I don't say, want to say needed, but could be a situation where it propels him to even greater success. There's one thing you'd ever want to do with him and with tennis is count him out. So what are you looking forward to see from Novak on the clay and, and going forward after what transpired in New York? Well, you know, the beauty of this sport is that, you know, there's always a tournament the next week. And obviously, you know, after the U.S. Open, now we have – there was Kitzbühel the second week U.S. Open, but for for Novak, basically after U.S. Open, there's Rome, um, and then a week off, and then French Open. So the beauty of this sport was that he was able to get back on the court two days later, get back to work, refocus on his craft, and put it behind him, as opposed to going home for two weeks and having it sit and people talking about it. The best thing for him was to get back on the court, get some wins behind him, and you know I'm expecting amazing things from Novak. I, he, he's one of those guys who can compartmentalize and now it seems like he's really focused on the present moment and you know excited for the French Open and and wouldn't be surprised if he's in the uh, conversation to win it yeah obviously Nadal overwhelming favorite 12-time champion doesn't even really need to be said but he's the one guy in that draw that's not going to be afraid of him so every match that he plays against Rafa he believes he can win he's beaten him on clay before um I, I just look at other sports references like if like Throwing out, for example, basketball. This is the one I always go to. That old San Antonio Spurs team that lost that, that gut-wrenching finals to the Heat, they reprogrammed, got right back, and won it the next year. Probably don't do it if they don't suffer that heartbreak. You can you know, look at college football, Clemson, and, and whatnot, and there's always that you know, calm and the, that setback, the failure before success. So I'm with you. I think Novak is going to be in prime position to play well there. Uh, and quickly on the men's side, Dominic Team, U.S. Open champion, hasn't played on the clay yet, has done damage there, has been arguably the second-best clay court player in the world the last couple of years behind Nadal. What, what should we expect to see him if and when he does decide to play on the clay? Oh, I mean, he'll be ready to go. It's obviously his best favorite surface. I mean, obviously making that run at U.S. Open and winning U.S. Open, in the past he used to hate fast hard courts and and US Open was a fast hard court so he adjusted but he doesn't need to adjust when he's on clay I mean it is he's so familiar on that surface feels so comfortable and I mean the way he hits the ball the way he trains I mean there's no doubt that he is on the practice court right now getting after it and has his mind and 
and I set on a on a French Open title. Do we put to bed that uh, narrative that he's played too much tennis? Because clearly the guy just doesn't break down and loves to play every well, day. Well, I mean, I'll tell you this. I mean, the, the coaches literally have to pull him off the court. I mean, he loves tennis. He loves training. Um, there was one stretch there where he was playing doubles every week when he was playing singles. And coaches were like, look, we, we want you to rest in between matches. We want you to do that. But he loves to be on the court. He loves to improve. So, you know, he there, the the thing about him playing too many matches, he's not really worried about that. His body seems and looks healthy, so he'll be ready to go. Can't wait to see him. Uh, another added factor in the race to Roland Garros. The tournament starts September 27th, so less than 10 days away. Uh, Nick Monroe on the TC Life podcast. Uh, on the women's side, one player we got to give a lot of respect to is Victoria Azarenka. She's been on a tear, beats Venus Williams, destroys Kennan. Bagel, but just destroyed six love, six love. Here's her sound and uh, our reaction on TC Live to just the dominance from Victoria Azarenka. It was all about trying to find, you know, the right intentions of to do today, uh, and I think it was it it, it worked out okay. I'm uh, I'm actually excited to be in Rome. I haven't been to Europe in forever, so um, I've been appreciating the last couple of days the food and uh, and everything. So it's been it's been good. One of the things that stood out to me, Jim, about Victoria Azarenka in New York, every match was like, this is going to be fun. I can't wait to play the next mm -hmm. one. I'm, I'm in such a good mood. I mean, she had lost to Venus in Lexington. That's not very long ago. Right. She hadn't won a match in over a year. And now the titleist in Cincinnati, finalist in U.S. Open, comes out and beats Venus Williams in the first round. Yeah, attitude matters. She's come out with a really good attitude. She's, she's come out ready to compete and lay it all on the line. But, but at the same time, she seems a lot less burden than she was when she, when it was it was hard for her to even be able to go compete right the custody battle was limiting her appearances now it, it's in a way there's freedom because she can go to Europe she can go to different places and that's massive for her and it's just wonderful to see her back bashing the ball and, and grunt I mean it's just we missed Vika at this level it's nice to have her back yeah Vika does a lot of things well on a tennis court but compete is probably the best thing she does. And we saw her play a few matches over the last few years where we didn't see that. We saw almost a blank Vika out there. We saw a few matches with a lot of tears. And you knew she was going through a very hard time, tried not to talk about it much, but it, but it was evident in her play and her results. And I think everybody is so happy to see her back on court. And Steve, you said happy, so appreciative, not only because of COVID, to be able to get back out on a match court, but to be get back to doing what she loves with that same intensity that got her to the top of the sport, she is going to get back to the top. I mean, she's ranked now in the top 20. She's on her way back there, and it's great to see that. And you said it's her attitude. It's her appreciation, but also that intensity. So back in the day when she was actually winning Grand Slams, it was a job. And she didn't love it. Now she does, and she's having a great time out on the court, and you can see in the results. Nick, it's been a couple days. She loses a tough final. She goes through Serena Williams to get there and then loses a tough final, 6-4 in the third to, uh, to Naomi Osaka, 6-3 in the third, excuse me, to Naomi Osaka at the U.S. Open. Gets on a plane and just picks up like nothing happened on the clay. Her mental has been uh, insane, but I think it's, it's time to really start giving credit to her game because in addition to how her mindset's changed, she looks like a completely different player from the last two years. Absolutely. I mean, she looks like she's really want, trying to take initiative in the point. She's staying aggressive. She's staying on the baseline. And that's when she's always played her best tennis. Um, when she wasn't playing as well, she seemed uncertain of her shots and kind of 
pulling off of her shots and now she's really swinging through she's staying on the baseline and again she you know she's been there she's done that so you know it's no surprise to her if you know if she's in a semifinal or a final she's that she's not nervous in that situation so yes she's definitely a player to to obviously you know look for and be reckoned with and and I mean I would not be surprised to have her make a deep run at the French as well with no Ashley Barty to defend her title with a lot of other names um, not making the trip and with the games being a little uneven to say the least I mean Kennan is the easy one but there's other top players that aren't into form yet she's absolutely a factor would you say one of the Ten, five at the top uh, I, of the list. I, I would th- well, top five for sure. Okay. Maybe even top three. I mean, it'd be interesting to see how you know Serena's training at the Mortsugu Academy in Nice right now. You know, it'd be interesting to see how she comes back and how healthy she is. But you know, right now Vika yeah. has the confidence to beat anybody, and um, you know she'll be seated, so she won't have to play a top player or you know top seated player in the in the first round or second round. So it'll be it'll be interesting to watch, but she definitely will believe that she can win it. Yeah, I, top five for sure, and, and the more I think about it, we're looking at top three. Help is one that I think she's been training. She she always seems to be match tough and great on clay and has had consistent runs there. I would understand her being the favorite, but after that, you, it's a results-based business, and, and Vika's been great. Uh, and I guess we could put a bow on it with this. The French Open side, men's and women's, this, we're looking at a lot of clay court, I don't want to say specialists, but European players that didn't come over to the New York bubble that have been training on this. Do you think they're going to be necessarily dominating, but maybe, you know, at the front of the line in terms of the results on Roland Garros, the players that have been building for this and maybe decided not to come over to the bubble in New York? Uh, maybe. I mean, but also, you know, the importance of matches is is key, you know, and, and, and as, as we saw with Victoria, I mean, she was able to come from New York, get on the clay, Obviously, she was jet-lagged, a little tired, but still able to have that mentality to, to fight through it. But having matches is key, you know. So some of the players who stayed here and maybe only are playing one event or two events and maybe lose a first round here or there, you know, obviously they're going to be maybe a little bit more fresh. But when you have the, the matches behind you and you know that you can get through some tough matches, that's also a big factor. I agree. It's that push-pull of... You know, preparing for the surface, but also, you know, there's only a couple of uh, clay court tournaments. So unless you're <laughs> unless you're going on deep runs, you're not getting the opportunity to get that experience. And there's no uh, recipe. There's no replacement for good old fashioned match play. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Nick Monroe on the TC Live podcast. Before we wrap this up, as we look forward to uh, Roland Garros and, and whatnot, I want to take a step and think, you know, looking at the TV side of things, you've kind of made that adjustment and... Uh, <laughs> What's been what's been one of your favorite parts? Because you've gotten to you know do it all. Obviously, this podcast now, but you've been calling matches, you've been doing live segments, you've you've kind of been uh, a jack yeah, of all trades so far. Well, you know what was cool was being up at one a.m. this morning and <laughs> working with Mary Carrillo. You know, oh, I've I've, well, yeah. I've I've listened to her for so many years, so being able to work with her at one in the morning and then you know 
after two matches and working with Ted Robinson. I mean, two two complete pros and legends, you know, and so that's that's pretty amazing for me and to learn from them. So, um, you know, again, it's just a learning process and I'm, I'm really enjoying it. And Roland Garros, you're, you're playing doubles in the field with, uh, and you just told me, a guest, a former reoccurring guest on this podcast, Tommy Paul, crowd and uh, ATP tour favorite, Tommy Paul. <laughs> yeah, that'll be fun. That'll be fun. We obviously, I went to North Carolina. He's a big Tar Heel fan and and we have a lot of fun together. We played together um, for the Washington Castles in World Team Tennis this year. So, yeah, that it'll be a lot of fun to just, you know, be in Paris and really getting after it, you know, as a team. You know, and I'm pining for the days, too, of the top players getting invested in doubles because, you know, up until about maybe the last, you know, 10 years or so, you'd see a lot of results that would translate on both sides. You'd see a lot of top players play, make runs. Uh, Paul's game, he, he's gotten – you know, he's had that breakthrough. It's tough. I mean, it's tough to break through at the singles level, you know, going right pro at 18 and having to grind, but some big wins, the Australia win with uh, Grigor Dimitrov standing out. And uh, I've always, he, I became a fan of his when he said he, he wants there to be more noise. He, he hates when, when other players on tour are just like, oh, it's too, it's too loud, quiet. Yeah, no, he, he's, he's, I mean, he brings such talent and athleticism to the court. Um, you know, there's no... It doesn't surprise anyone that he's in the 50s right now and and can push to be top 20 because he's got every every ounce of talent to do it. And um, but yeah, he he's fun to be around. He likes when there's noise. He likes when there's crowds and and you know the raw raw. You know, I got to see him play Grigor in Australia, and mm -hmm. man, he played some amazing tennis and felt like. In the beginning, the crowd was for Grigor, but after a while, they realized, man, this Tommy Paul kid's pretty good. Oh, and, yeah. and then I felt like the crowd kind of switched and went with Tommy. But, you know, he, he's a big match player, and, and it'll be fun to just watch his rise. Last thing for you, getting ready for this, uh, this doubles draw. What part of your game are you hoping to kind of, you know, hope that shines through on the clay, getting to play with Paul, getting to play in another major? I know you've been around the block, but it doesn't get much more special than playing at the French Open. No, I mean, look, when you're a little kid, you dream of playing these Grand Slams, right? You dream of playing the French Opens and, you know, just to be over there in Paris and playing with a good buddy is always fun. And, you know, we just want to go have some fun and be athletic out there, you know, make it fun for Tommy, make it fun for myself and, you know, not really throw too much emphasis on we got to win, we got to win. I mean, if you do that, then you, you're kind of stuck in the mud, but you know, we'll go over there and we, we definitely, you know, for me, I'll focus a lot on my first serve, first volley returns, you know, doubles, doubles instincts. And for him, I'll just let him be Tommy, you know, say, look, man, you just be athletic. You, you do what you do and, and let me take care of the, the double side of things. And, and I think it will be a good mix. Should be fun. We're all excited. Nick Monroe. Uh, thanks for coming on the TC live podcast and uh, best of luck in Roland Garros. It's been a fun first week of television, and uh, I think we're starting to become a North Carolina-themed podcast, so <laughs> we'll see what Julius Peppers is doing next week and try to <laughs> see if he can come I on I like here. it. Let's get Peppers in here. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. That was Nick Monroe on the TC Live podcast. A reminder, you can catch every episode streaming on all your podcast platforms as well as tennis.com slash podcast. I'm Mitch Michaels. Next week, we'll be getting ready to preview Roland Garros, so that will be fun. This was the TC Live podcast. See you next week.